This podcast is presented by Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty. Along with Tom and Suzanne, it's our hope that this show helps shine a bright spotlight on our area and celebrates what makes it an extraordinary place to call home. To learn more about our community, sign up for our newsletter, or to simply find your dream home on Staten Island, go to TomCrimmonsRealty.com. The Honest Eye Podcast is part of the Our Community Plus Lifestyle Network and a member of the local independent online news or Lions Publishers Initiative. We're proud to be one of the hundreds of organizations across the United States and Canada supported by the Democracy Fund, Facebook Journalism Project, Google News Initiative, and the Knight Foundation, and we love doing our part to elevate influential voices from our hometowns. Now, on with this month's show. On this episode of the On SI Podcast, the free borough-wide outdoor concert series, Sounds of Summer, returns to the island, aiding the recovery of New York City's arts and culture scene. Also this month, we introduce you to our local Hero of the Month. This Pleasant Plains resident retired from the FDNY in September 2021 after nearly four decades of dedicated service, but her retirement didn't last long. She rejoined the workforce through a new Department of Aging program, which celebrates the skills, knowledge, and expertise retirees acquired while working for the city. This alliance benefits the work agencies continue to do every day, while also allowing them to be more age-inclusive and diverse in the workplace. Plus, a look back at a Dongan Hills native who's spearheading projects, events, and efforts to help local youths through athletics and activism while pursuing a professional, groundbreaking athletic career. Hello. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. The cultural fabric of New York City is supported and celebrated by the Borough President's free summertime concert series. That tops our island hopping segment, our take on noteworthy local and positive things you need to know. This season, Staten Islanders are once again able to enjoy free entertainment in the parks all across the borough thanks to the Sounds of Summer concert series. This event is sponsored by Borough President Fisella and Council Members Camilla Hanks, David Carr, and Joe Borelli. Concerts are scheduled for most Thursday nights throughout the season, and all performances are open to the public. Performers and concertgoers alike can enjoy the open air while supporting the artistic culture of New York City, a much-needed happening as the city continues to return to normal following the COVID outbreak. According to the state, pre-pandemic, the arts and culture sector accounted for almost 500,000 jobs and brought roughly $120 billion into New York. The city's Department of Education is committed to making sure no children go hungry while school is out for the summer. Free grab-and-go meals are available to children across the five boroughs as the agency offers free meals to anyone 18 years old and younger at specific locations starting the day after the last day of public school. The meal locations are designated for public schools, community pool centers, parks, and food trucks. 
No registration, documentation, or IDs are necessary to receive a free breakfast or lunch meal. And be assured, the meals are packed with nutrition. According to the DOE, meals meet or exceed U.S. Department of Agriculture standards and do not use food additives such as artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. The DOE offers a variety of fresh fruit, whole grains, vegetables, and salads for children to enjoy so they have lots of energy to enjoy the summer. Also, the 2022 B. Victor Senior Olympics, which is for people age 50 or older, was held in person once again for the first time since COVID-19 restrictions went into effect. The event organized by the Joan and Allen Bernacow Jewish Community Center of Staten Island in Seaview includes basketball, bowling, canasta, croquet, among other activities. The event is named in honor of Beatrice Ann Victor, who championed the goal of aging gracefully and in good health by establishing the annual Senior Olympics of Staten Island. Now, we're proud to bring you our local Hero of the Month, a segment made possible with support from Tom and Suzanne Crimmins of Tom Crimmins Realty. In this installment, we introduce you to Mary McLaughlin. The 67-year-old has rejoined the workforce through the city's Silver Stars program, which allows retired New York City employees to return to work and helps agencies staff their workforce with talented, skilled professionals while also gaining cost-saving measures and an expedited hiring process. Given McLaughlin's experience working at the FDNY's Bureau of Health Services, this Pleasant Plains resident has decades of knowledge and passion to impart. Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm so excited to catch up with you. Thank you. You retired from the FDNY in September of 2021 after 37 years of dedicated service. So how has retirement been treating you? Great. <laughs> it's very liberating retirement. I'm enjoying it very much. I have to ask, what do you miss most about the FDNY? I miss the people. I do miss the work that we did, but I, I really miss the people. Yeah, I think that's a, a shared sentiment when people separate from the department. I wanted to know more about like the memorable projects or things that you worked on that you were very proud of during your career, because you retired as the director of the Bureau of Health Services. And I know you worked on some tremendous initiatives while serving the department. What comes to mind is Biopod, which is... Um an acronym for biological point of distribution, which basically was an initiative for us to maintain our preparedness in the event that there is a biological exposure to the members out in the field. So what we did was Biopod was a brainchild of myself and Dr. Kelly to make sure that our members were as protected as they possibly could be in the event of an exposure. So what we did was we mimicked that preparedness by giving out the flu vaccines every year. So it was an initiative that we were able to educate the members on how important it is to get their flu vaccine every year. And it allowed us to hone our skills as healthcare professionals for a mass vaccination. So we started off in 2003. I remember that vividly because we had the incident management team who was working with us to manage the program and make sure all the units got through. And in fact, we only did Staten Island that first year. And 
it just so happened that as we were moving into the night tour between the day and the night tours, we had already completed all the members, all the units coming through from Staten Island on the day tour. However, that was the day that the Staten Island ferry crash happened. Mm. And we had multiple incidents going on at the same time. We suspended the night tour only because the Staten Island units were responding to the ferry crash. So it was an opportunity for us to kind of manage two large scale incidences in just one borough. There were a lot of lessons learned there that we were proud of, that we were able to mobilize the units to go through for the day tour. We got them all. And then the night tour was, as I said, suspended. And we've been doing the biopod every single year since 2003. And it's gotten I think better and better because we expanded it to all the boroughs, all five boroughs. And we get the night tour, the day tour, and pretty much the three tours of EMS. So it's uh, it's one of the initiatives I'm very proud of. And before I left, I actually wrote a operational manual for it because, you know, thinking about retirement, I said, you know, there needs to be a legacy that there's a book that tells you how to do this because, you know, the job changes. There are new people. But I do think that the membership is fully aware of what Biopod is supposed to be. I used to say my uh, my little theory was it's not about the flu. You know, the members would just say, oh, yeah, Biopod, it's, it's getting your flu shot. It's not about that. It's about being prepared in the event that we have to mobilize you and protect you mm-hmm. uh, in your performance or your duties. So that's number one that I'm very proud of. Number two is my work with the New York Blood Center on the bone marrow program. That is one close to my heart. I think the members, you know, I felt like my contribution was just to be the liaison with the blood center to make sure that the members who are donors are taken offline, service connected. I, you know, tell them what the protocol is that, you know, you go and give your donation, whether it's bone marrow or stem cells, and then you have to be cleared by the Bureau of Health Services in order to go back to work. I will say that there are over 8,000 members, it's probably higher now, uh, that are in the bone marrow registry. And it's uncanny that the members turn up to be matches, like one right after another. As soon as one is done with his donation, his or her donation and goes back to work, I'm getting a phone call from the blood center that somebody else is a potential match. And it is, I think the, I could be wrong, but I think the blood center has said that the fire department are 10% of the donors. And that's an extraordinary thing. And the members, there is no one in my career that's ever said no. I mean, the blood center tells them up front that if they don't wish to donate and they happen to be a, a, a match that they're within their um, right to, to decline, but no one ever does. And I will say that when I call a member and tell them, you know, I've been notified that you're a potential match, this is what we're going to do. I say to them, if there are any questions you have about your donation, I can hook you up with other members. And as it got later and later in my career, members would say, no, it's okay. You know, two guys were two guys and gals in my firehouse or EMS station already donated. So they've already told me what to expect, which is phenomenal. And I know I always said to the blood center, we need to have like a recognition ceremony to recognize the units who have multiple donors in there within their ranks, because it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So those are two things that stand out. And I don't know how to communicate this to listeners. What a tremendous undertaking both of those initiatives are. You said them so succinctly, but when you really think about all the work that goes on behind the scenes to make them a reality, it's tremendous. 
how did you get involved with the Be The Match registry? Why did you think that that was an important initiative to roll out? You know, I can't really recall it. I can probably speak that Dr. Kelly probably recommended me, I think, but you know, my memory doesn't serve me specifically to that. But you know, I mean, Dr. Kelly was the chief medical officer of the fire department. So there were things that she would delegate to me as the director. And I believe that this was one of those things. I think she also recognized that I am a people person. I like dealing with with different folks about different things. And I, I believe that once we broke open that relationship, I built those professional relationships with my colleagues at the blood center. So they knew that they could call me they knew that I, I could take care of things when they needed them uh, and vice versa. And it, it just morphed from there. I will say though that 9-11, I had a relationship with the blood center before 9-11, but on 9-11 was clearly, as we all know, uh, a tragedy in our, our history. But the blood center and I were on the phone and we thought about, you know, with 343 members missing, you know, was there anything that we collectively could do? And my contact at the time said, you know, if you can give me a list of the unaccounted for, we can see if we have any blood samples that people give to get into the registry. And we did do that. Um, and I worked with them on locating where those those samples were. So when we identified that there were some, not all, but some, um, we were able to get them to the New York State Police Crime Lab up in Albany. And I worked with the liaison from there. And my recollection is, I want to say 141 sticks out in my mind that they were able to get like I want to say 90% of the DNA from those samples. Wow. So that gave the families, you know, not closure, but to know that, you know, there was something there that uh, could help. And years later, a couple of, quite a few years later, the blood center, you know, as people were laid to rest and we had memorials, the blood center said that if they had the, the vial of blood, they were giving it to the family so that they could bury them. Wow. So, you know, it's an emotional thing. Mm -hmm. And that too is, you know, extraordinary. Yeah. Their gift back kind of came, well, it came full circle. You know, and that touches my heart. Yeah. You mentioned relationships earlier. And I know that to be true about you, that you value your relationships with people, you're very authentic, and you cultivate and steward your relationships masterfully, obviously. And I feel like that translated into your retirement, because now you're involved in this Silver Stars program. So can you talk about that and how it came to fruition and, and what it means to you? Yes. So when I decided to retire, and I was very happy once I made my decision to retire, I notified Dr. Prasant, our chief medical officer, uh, also our chief of health policy for the fire department, who I've known my whole career. And he said to me, well, he said, you know, there's this program. I'm, I'm wondering if you're interested in coming back to work, but it's up to you as many days a week as you want, or not as many days a week as you want, you know, because I need an office manager at the Staten Island Satellite, the World Trade Center Health Program. So I was taken back thinking about retiring and actually putting my paper in. I was doing all the paperwork that goes along with that. And, um, you know, I had some questions. I said, well, can I think about it? And he said, well, I feel like 
you were instrumental in starting the program, the World Trade Center with us. And, you know, you know how it works, you know what needs to be done and your, your connection with the field is solid. You know, I came home, I spoke to my family and I said, you know what, I, I, this would be nice because it's in Staten Island. So I don't have to commute anymore to Brooklyn, which is a huge bonus. And I can see and take care and speak to members who I've known all these years because the World Trade Center Health Program is a majority of them are retirees. And they've done as many years as I have, and I've either worked with them or I've taken care of them over the years. So I jumped at the opportunity to, you know, I did not know about the Silver Stars program at the time. I think that's such a wonderful opportunity for you. And I think it's great that you're sort of the spokesperson (laughs) for this program and, you know, letting other people know that it's available to them in retirement, because obviously you've had such a purposeful career. It's amazing to see you continue to do that work now in this chapter of your life. You had mentioned that you're from Staten Island, obviously. It's something that I'm proud of when I tell people where I'm from. So for those who don't know, like how would you describe the Staten Island community? I think it's a small town feel. It really is. I moved down here in 1996. I had been living in the city. I'm I'm originally a Bronx kid and a Queens kid. (laughs) So Staten Island, I wasn't sure, you know, the only people I knew that lived on Staten Island were people at the fire department. And uh, although my brother did live out here for a number of years and then moved to Pennsylvania and we wanted to, you know, look for a property and build our own home. And Staten Island was really the only borough that had more of those opportunities. So once I moved out here, I, you know, I've made friends through the fire department who live here and it's just a great, it's a great community. It's just, uh, I love coming home and hearing the birds and seeing the woods and I have my own little piece of heaven and it's great. It's really great. I've met some amazing people that live here and uh, the majority of them I have to say are from the fire department. I think the community of the fire department is equal to the community of here on Staten Island. I would agree with that sentiment. And we say on the show often, it's a small town in a big city. That's how we describe Staten Island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And close enough to the city. So you're not driving, you know, two hours to get into the city. And (laughs) that fast ferry, which I've taken now a couple Mm -hmm. of times is is really fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I'm so happy we were able to catch up and just celebrate some of your milestones and contributions. Thank you, Patty. Yeah, me too. I I enjoyed this very much. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, we honored Isaiah Wilkerson as our local hero of the month for using his influence as a professional athlete to talk about mental health and promote positivity, good sportsmanship, and service to others. Here's Isaiah. Us as older adults now, especially in my generation, we got to st- we got to tell these kids, yo, it's okay if you don't want to play basketball. It's okay. It's okay to be a doctor. It's okay to go to school, get great grades and do something else. You don't have to be a basketball player. Like you're still cool if you don't do certain things. Like you're still a good person. Like you don't have to be that. And that's the issue. That's what people don't understand. When you're dealing with basketball and you're dealing with always, you always play basketball, you have a singular thought pattern and your singular thought pattern is on basketball. I'm a basketball player, I'm a basketball player. But what, what, what happens when basketball stops? Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about how the kids going through a mental issue, how the kids turn into, and you know, like I said, I deal with reality, how the kids turn into probably 
you know, anything be, between pills, drugs, alcohol, just to get through pain that they don't know where it's coming from. And it's coming from a place where basketball is very temporary. You're very blessed if you're able to play basketball or be in the business of basketball for your life. You're very blessed. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't work as hard as you can and try to become the best basketball player you can. But what I'm saying is a kid should always be encouraged to be well-rounded. That'll do it for this edition of the Honest Eye Podcast. On behalf of Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty, thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at TomCrimmonsRealty.com. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you'd like to share, email it to us at stories at Until next time, be well.